Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, I'm John Canemaker, author, animator, blah, 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 and I'm welcoming you to the Skull Rock Podcast. Welcome. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the podcast about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Goh, Time Lord, musician, longtime Disney fan. You can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, how are you? Um, I'm losing my voice, but I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're losing your voice. That's always tough when we're doing a podcast, isn't it? it, it you know, do I sound like Lou Rawls at all? You know, Jerry Lewis, you know, telethon. I sound like Lou Rawls. I remember watching the uh, Jerry Lewis, uh, you know, Labor Day telethons and everything that he does for the St. Jude's Hospital or whatever. And I remember anytime Lou Rawls would come on, it was one of my parents' favorite acts. And he had that soulful voice, you'll never find, you know, and I, and I find myself doing that. Every time my voice gets like another octave lower, I just find myself in a Lou Rawls zone, you know? There you go. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'm really and, dating myself, but I don't know what else to say. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Hey, you know, hey, listen, we, we, we've got part two of uh, animator Ron Husband. Disney legendary animator Ron Husband is going to be with us again for part two. And uh, as we said last week, it's just serendipitous that it happens to be Black History Month. Yeah. And we've got Ron Husband, who's the first black animator at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Is he always so positive, Dave? Yes, he is. He's like I, I honestly have never I've never heard him complain or say a negative thing. He, well, he's always he, he was always upbeat and positive and, you know, honestly, always had a smile. And like I've said last week. You know, he always has a sketchbook in his hand. It's just so inspiring. Uh, he was totally inspiring, and his his genuine love of all things is, is so evident. And uh, you know, you talk about a just upbeat person. Every time he he's been doing these shows with us, I just smile because uh, he just picks me up. He's just a, a great guy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Well, this week we have, you know, once again, we have a, a great Disney legend here, or I should say icon, uh, if you will. But we do have uh, some other news we want want to get to. But before that, Dave, what have you been watching this week? Let me, Believe it uh, or not, you know, because both my daughters were in town staying with us for the last week. I didn't really have a chance to go out to the movies, which I would have liked to. Have. Okay. And it was kind of a weird week, too, because there wasn't a lot for me to go see. I, I've yeah. seen a lot of the films that are in the theaters right now already and um you know i have to say you know uh 80 for brady i it just wasn't a film i wanted to see in the theaters Mm -hmm. and 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 so that kind of really left uh magic mike the last dance and i really wasn't gonna go see that with my friend rick it's kind of (laughs) weird yeah it was kind of weird in fact nancy said to me she said are you going to a movie with Rick this weekend? And I, I looked at her with a straight face. I said, yeah, we're going to see Magic Mike, The Last Dance. And she said, no, you're not. <laughs> I could see her saying that. Actually, I could see myself seeing that. Be like, no, you're not. <laughs> I know. So well, anyway, we, we actually did not uh, go to a movie this weekend. Uh, but uh, I did have a chance. And this was really, uh, Al John, based on your recommendation uh-huh. last week, uh-huh. I watched a whole bunch of episodes of Ghosts. Did you like it? Uh, on Paramount Plus. I love it. It's, it's funny, a great right? show. <laughs> it is really a great show. And I highly recommend it to our listeners. Yeah. Ghosts on Paramount Plus uh-huh. uh, is really terrific. It's about a couple that um, the uh, the wife inherits this big old mansion and they decide to turn it into a bed and breakfast. Yeah. And uh, the building is or the, the this mansion is uh, inhabited by, you know, seven or eight ghosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they don't know that right away. But the uh, wife winds up falling down the stairs and hitting her head mm-hmm. and she's OK. She recovers from it. But that fall allows her a living person to see the ghosts that are living in the house. Well, wait, wait, Dave. She sees dead people. She does. She sees dead people. So <laughs> it's a really great premise. It's really funny. A rare, a really great cast of characters. Uh, so I highly recommend ghosts. I also watched a, a number of episodes of Condor, And this is an interesting drama. This is right up my alley. I'll give you a synopsis. After a low-level CIA analyst returns from lunch to discover everyone in his office has been killed, he goes on the run trying to elude hitmen and uncover the truth about who is behind the murders. And this is based, this series is based on the film Three Days of the Condor. Uh, if you remember that from way back when, uh, and it has a terrific cast. Max Irons uh, plays Joe Turner, who's the the lead character, but Bob uh, Balaban, uh, who's a great character actor, he's been in tons of stuff, you know, Seinfelds, in you know all kinds of dramas. He's terrific. He's in it. Brandon Fraser is in the first uh, um, season, uh, and also William Hurt. Who, who, if you remember, just passed away earlier the, uh, in 22, yeah. uh, in 2022. Uh, but this is really uh, the first 
uh, episode aired in June of 2018. So there's two seasons of this show and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, so I, I give that a thumbs up and a recommendation to our listeners. And then I continue watching episodes of Mayor of Kingstown, which dropped on Paramount Plus. So that's about all I had uh, for this past week. That's awesome. I had every intention to see uh, the new J-Lo Ben Affleck um or was it? I'm sorry. It wasn't J uh, J Lo and Ben Affleck. It was uh, Jay Leno. Oh, Jay Leno. No, no. It was uh, Ashton, <laughs> Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Kirk, Kirk Ashton or something like that. Yeah. I was and gonna... uh, um, uh, oh gosh. Yeah, I know. I'm uh, having a, I'm having a brain fart. I'm sorry. So the blonde, anyway. the blonde. Yes, yes. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. We've, yes, Reese Witherspoon. Witherspoon. That's yes. right. That's right. Reese. There you go. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know she lives here in town and if I ever ran into her, I'll, I'll apologize profusely, but uh-huh. um, there's a lot of things I was going to watch this week and, and I was going to watch the whale and all this, but you know, it just never happened. Um, like the last of us, I was going to start watching the last of us and I just, it, I just didn't have time. But what I did watch, I did catch up with criminal minds evolution, which is great. And I have to say, I love the cast so much and uh, I'm looking forward to the last episode. I think it's going to be airing this week. Uh, I was also going to see shotgun wedding. That's what I was going to see, um, which is Jennifer Lopez and Josh Demel, but I still, I need to get to it, but I am because I am a new parent, relatively new parent. Um, I've been watching the parent test on ABC Hulu and you know, they have different parenting styles and some parent styles are very strict. Some are very open and free form or child led. So we have like these, uh, these child psychologists in with, you know, this host and they put these different families with different parent styles to the test to see who has the best parenting style. And of course the style will also depend on the parents and the children. So it just, you have to find a style that works, but it's interesting how they have these different tests of these children. And some of these children are like, you know, they have the stranger danger test uh-huh. you know, where people get approached and it's kind of heartbreaking and almost triggering when you see these parents that kind of instill these values and, and train and, and teach their children. And yet they might, you know, flub a test when a stranger comes up with a dog and says, Hey, you want to see some puppies in my car? And they just go to the car and it just breaks your heart. And I said, this is like every parent's worst nightmare, you know? Mm. And, um, I, I, I was telling my wife, you know, cause we'll sit and we watch and we try to get this, you know, pieces of information that we can apply in our own lives. And I said, you know, we wouldn't be watching the show if we weren't parents, but now that I'm watching the show, I'm just so scared, Dave, you know, I mean, you're, mm. you're a parent and, you you know I know a lot of the our listening audience is now too, and just from being you know a, a newly adopting these kids that we've had in foster care for two and a half years, everything scares me, especially now. Oh, everything scares I, me. I, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a different world. Yeah. You know, it's a different world we live in, and you you gotta you you gotta be very cautious. It's a, a very eye opening. And I think it's worth a watch. I think it's uh, definitely something that you and your family can watch and maybe discuss as a family. Um, but it is a very compelling show. So check out the Parent Test on ABC and Hulu. Before cool. we, yeah, before we get into, uh, <laughs> before we get into the news, I have to say that uh, did you see the the Grammys at all? Some of the footage. Uh, you know, not really, Al John. I, 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 I guess you know all I can say is I'm not big on award shows anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't think that they necessarily fully reflect uh, the general public. 
Um, I, and that's really, you know, I, I honestly think that's why the Oscars have, you know, the viewership of the Oscars has gone down so much over the years. I, yeah, I, I get it. Um, I will say, you know, there was a lot of great winners, uh, this year, but no one was more surprised than myself when I was watching some of the footage, cause they had some great performances and at least watch the performances. But, uh, my goodness, um, could you be any? Could you look at Ben Affleck and J Lo being in the front row? Um, could you be any more sympathetic for for Ben Affleck this entire time? Because it's like, you know, take your husband to work day, and he just didn't want to be there. Was super tired or whatever. And every time the camera would go pan to them, she was always like, you know, look like you're having a good time. You know, come on look like you're having a good time. Wake up. You look like you look so mad every time, you know, just tapping him all the time. Like a, you know, just pestering him like, like, you know, straighten your posture. You know, the, you know, my mom would do that every now and again when we would be uh, sitting having breakfast together. She'd like hit me like Al John <laughs> straighten your posture. I, I actually, I, I actually saw some of the photos, <laughs> the look on his face. And if there, I mean, if you could look up in the dictionary an expression for not wanting to be at something, it would be Ben Affleck's face. You know, <laughs> I mean, honestly, he just looked miserable. 100%. It is, it is hilarious. And I just have to say, wow, you know, and I feel sorry for him. But uh, I'm going to run down a couple winners here. You know, Record of the Year went to Lizzo for about damn time. Don't know if you know Lizzo, Dave, but uh, album. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm familiar with okay, Lizzo. Cool. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she's fun. Album of the Year for Harry How- Harry's House for Harry Styles, who won. Song of the Year went to just like that. Bonnie Raitt, songwriter, the winner. Now, here's something funny and kind of sad. Did you see the article going around saying that? Um, that song of the year was awarded to some unknown singer songwriter. Of course it was Bonnie Raitt, right? But it was, it was published. And I thought it was a joke um, that, that someone had put out this, uh, some kind of a, it was a news source, a news source that regularly makes the rounds. I think it was the guardian or something. And I apologize if it's not right, but they had posted an article saying that some unknown Bonnie Raitt had won that. And I'm thinking to myself, is that real? And of course it was real. Oh my gosh! You know, it's like the I whole. I mean, is yeah. it, this was ri- written by a twelve-year-old, yeah, right? Apparently, yeah, yeah. And I just laughed and I said, "Are you kidding me? She's, she's a rock and roll Hall of Fame, legendary blues guitar player, singer, songwriter, and you say she's unknown? She's only had, you know, forty-five, fifty years in the business. You know, like what is going on with these people? You know what? They're putting children in charge of these things. It's absolutely terrible. It, it really is. So, you know, put some respect, put some respect in your mouth <laughs> when it comes to body rates. <laughs> uh, something else that I've also seen on here, uh, you know, Dave, they Rolling Stone makes a, a big deal about these lists. Uh, they have like the best guitarist and the best, you know, this, that, and the other. And here are the top 200 best albums you got to check out. Well, put out a list of the top 200 best pop singers of all time. All right. Uh, who do you think is on top of this list? You know, I don't know, but I have been scrolling through the list. I haven't gotten to number one yet, oh, yeah. but I was surprised that Elton John was only at a hundred. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm surprised that Glenn Danzig was at like 189. You know, it's like I, I yeah. just I just thought. <laughs> and, and, and and by the way, um, Billie Eilish 198. Uh huh. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that seems very low. Yeah, well, let me, let me put it to you like this. I'm going to give you the top 10. Are you ready? All number right. 10, Al Green. Number, is, is number is number, number 10. 10. Yep. Number nine, Otis Redding. Okay. All right. I, I, I would go with that. Number eight, Beyonce. Okay. Num- number seven, Stevie Wonder. Number six, Ray Charles. Okay. I, I buy into that. I love Ray Charles. Same. Number five, Mariah Carey. Eh. Number okay. four, Billie Holiday. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. Number three, Sam Cooke, one of my all-time favorites. Number two, Whitney Houston. Who's number one, Dave? I don't know. Number one, Aretha Franklin. Really? Yeah, Aretha Franklin. Now, I, I'm not sure I, I would buy into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it's really interesting, you know, when I look at these voices, and they do cover, I mean, this is a lot of rock and roll, folks. I mean, the Motown sound all the way to, you know, Patsy Cline was at number 13, John Lennon, number 12. Look, I like John Lennon, like the next Beatles fan. I don't necessarily think that he was a, a, a great singer. You know, yeah. Freddie Mercury, number 14. Boy, that's fighting words. Like Freddie Mercury, I think, is one of the all-time best singers and front men for any rock band in the history of pop music. And where does he fall? He... Is it number 14? Really? Bob Dylan, who I don't think is a great singer at all. He's 15. He's number 15. Prince, number 16. Elvis Presley, number 17. You know, Frank Sinatra at 19. Marvin Gaye, number 20. Adele, I would have thought Frank Sinatra would have been in the top 10. I thought he would have too. I mean, just once again, I mean, I think they always try to put these lists together. But, you know, something about these lists that, you know, they put actually, they put Paul McCartney at number 26 and put John Lennon closer to the top. Like, yeah, I, think I don't that's understand. A, that's, it's back ass words. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that is ass backwards because I would think Paul McCartney to me is a better singer than, uh, than John Lennon. Michael Jackson is not in the top 30. Dave. Really? Not even in the top 30. I mean, that seems, that seems odd. Kurt Cobain is at number 36. No sign of Michael Jackson, Dave, no sign of Michael Jackson. Really? Louis Armstrong is at 38. Etta James, 41. Ariana Grande at 43. James Brown at 44. Like, I'm looking at this list going, who wrote who put this, this list stuff? Together? Who put this stuff? Rod Stewart at 49. Talk about this. Linda, Linda Ronstadt at 47? Yeah. I would think she'd be higher. She has a great voice. She does have a great voice. Joni Mitchell at 50. I, uh, yeah, the 200 greatest singers of all time. It, the ranking is is really wrong. It's hard to, you know, when you go to the top five, and, you know, I can see some of the best soul singers in the world uh, yeah. being at the top five. And, you know, I personally think Stevie Wonder should be over, you know, some of these others. You know, Mariah Well, Carey they got Rod and, Stewart at 49. There you go. And you got Elton John at 100. That's the, it, it should be reversed. It's so weird, isn't it? It's so it, it's weird. It's bizarre. It is absolutely bizarre. It is weird. You know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I think something that's also weird is like Rolling Stone, like 15 years ago, put out their list of the top 200 best guitarists of all time. And they put Kurt Cobain over Eddie Van Halen, I think. And then it's like, uh, what? <laughs> Who writes this stuff? Who writes this stuff? Yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that to your attention. So feel free to write <sighs> us your, your 
favorite singers of all time. And we'll discuss it. You know, the thing about all these lists that get put out, it it sparks these kinds of arguments and conversations. It does. And, you know, yeah. And I just, I just laugh. I just have to laugh at it because as a musician myself and also a singer, when I actually have a voice, uh, you know, it it leads to some interesting, uh, interesting comments for sure. So anyway, uh, let's move into this, shall we? Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. All right, Dave. I think the biggest piece of news is Disney special tax, tax district bill is approved by the Florida Senate. The measure which Governor DeSantis says is expected to sign would move control of Reedy Creek District to the state. Boy, that brings about a whole lot of tax situations. Dave, this is... Uh, uh, you know, this good. is this is going to be real interesting to see what how, how this all plays out. I'll be curious to see if Disney files a lawsuit against the state of Florida over this. Uh, I mean, you know, this again, the, the this is just a continuation of a self-inflicted wound that is festering. Yeah. You yeah. know, and uh, it should never have happened. It's unclear how much money Disney saved as a result of the Reed Creek unique structure, but a former Disney exec told the Wall Street Journal last year that the district saves the company tens of millions of dollars every year. Well, the you know, aside from money savings, it, it's the streamlined ability for them to manage their property and put in infrastructure and new attractions the way they want to right. without having the added layer of bureaucracy of dealing with a local government or the state on these things. And if they actually do completely lose control of Reedy Creek, it's just going to create a quagmire uh, of more bureaucracy and it's going to take them longer to do things and ultimately it will cost more money. True. True. Well, speaking of costing, you know, Disney has cost people a lot of jobs over the past couple of weeks. You know, we talked about the restructuring and uh, they'll plan on continuing. They're laying off 7,000 people, Dave. Bob Iger outlines his new strategy on the reorganization of the company. And as we suspected, as we talked about earlier, um, uh, in our shows, uh, you know, this restructuring is getting rid of that uh, whole other bureaucracy of the DMED group, which was chiefed by Kareem Daniel, who was also let go the same day Bob Chapak was, Dave. Yeah, the DMED, as they refer to it internally, uh-huh. is the uh, Disney Media and Entertainment uh, Group. Uh, and I have to tell you, you know, this is uh, uh, this is he this is Bob Iger making great moves. The the reorg of the company is great. He he's essentially creating a entertainment division, parks and consumer products division, and ESPN is a standalone. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's creating its own division. And I I will tell you, I th- I think this is terrific. As far as the seven thousand layoffs, that's really a drop in the bucket, Al John. You know, this company has almost two hundred thousand employees. Yeah. You know, so so what are you talking here? Uh, you're talking three percent, four percent. And of that seven thousand, how many of those people are going to be people who want to retire? Yeah. Right. Or take early retirement. Yeah. And and then to me, the rest are people that are dead wood. 
You know, uh, you, you, you work for a company. I, I've worked for a company uh, and you look around and you know that there is dead wood yeah. in an organization. And those are the people that should leave. You know, so I I think honestly, I was expecting the layoffs to be more like ten thousand, but they're doing seven thousand. And quite frankly, I think it's a good thing. And I don't think that those those seven thousand are really gonna come from parks and resorts because out here in Los Angeles, they're advertising heavily for people to join the Disneyland resort. Mm-hmm. They need people. And I'll tell you, the last time I was down at the Grand Californian, they were short staffed. Yeah. You know, and I'm imagining, you know, that was at the Grand California. I'm imagining at the resort, you know, the the parks, uh, Disneyland and California Adventure, they're probably short staffed. Yeah, this labor shortage is is really, really interesting. Um, but what I will say is, are they putting the right people in the right job? And I think maybe for entertainment, they are. It's the Alan Bergman uh, and Dana and, Walden, and, who I'm yeah. a big fan of, apparently, uh, will co-chair Disney Entertainment. Jimmy yeah. Mataro is leading ESPN, and Josh Tomorrow remains to yeah. continue to lead parks and experiences. Yeah, so, so to me, I, I think those are great choices. You know, Alan Bergman is fantastic. Uh, you know, he's a longtime, uh, you know, guy at Disney, longtime executive heading the studio. And uh, I don't know Dana Waldman, but I I will tell you, Alan Bergman's a great guy. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. Well, we'll see more news, I'm sure, in the weeks to come, for sure. So we talked about uh, Bob Iger, and and we talked about this Nathan uh, Nelson Peltz deal. Um, And I think we may have touched on this next week, but, you know, it's over. Uh, Nathan yeah. Peltz. Yeah, we t- we touched on this last week absolutely. And, and and Nelson Peltz abandons his Disney proxy fight. This this was never going to happen and and he took the opportunity to piggyback on to the earnings report that came out last week from Disney and Bob Iger's, you know, announcement of the layoffs and the restructuring uh and Nelson Peltz was never going to win his proxy fight and so he's taking a lap by saying oh, I'm going to abandon it because Bob's doing everything you know, Bob Iger has announced everything it was a great quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, the company beat on the top and bottom lines and uh you know the losses at uh Disney Plus uh were uh less you know, and and by the way, when we say last two quarters trending down doesn't make a trend, but it's heading in the right direction. There you go. There you you go. know, so. Well, uh, you shot me this trailer of this movie called Air, and uh, you weren't the only one. I think I told you that uh, I spent some time with Night Ranger over this past week. And uh, Brad Gillis, who played with Ozzy Osbourne and is a lead guitarist for uh, for night ranger sent me this trailer of course the trailer has sister christian of course that's why he sent it to me he's like listen we're on this this trailer and it's gonna be awesome so uh speaking of mr stone faced i'm not having a poo-poo face during the grammy awards ben affleck uh he's in this movie with his best friend matt damon uh starring this new movie air which is about nike's game changing early days viola davis is also in there playing michael jordan's mother and um this is about the rise of Nike. And I think it's really cool because I read the book with uh, Phil Knight's book, his biography, Shoe Dogs. 
And it's a very good biography about Nike and how he basically faked it till he made it. <laughs> right. And, hey, uh, that's yeah. it. But this is all about, I mean, this is uh, Damon stars, of Sonny Vaccaro, the Maverick Nike salesman who signed rising basketball player, Michael Jordan to a shoe contract in the mid eighties that launched global multi-billion dollar contemporary sneaker industry, which uh, as we know it today, of course, uh, Affleck plays Nike co-founder, Phil Knight, Viola Davis stars as Dolores Jordan, who is of course, Michael's mom, Michael Jordan's mom. And it's a, it seems like it's a really cool movie, Dave. Uh, any thoughts about this this movie and the trailer? Because I, yeah. I got to tell you, I love the trailer. I thought it was terrific. I, I I sort of had a question mark when I heard that they were doing this movie. I was like, mm, okay, a movie about sneakers. But uh, after seeing the trailer, uh, and again, you know, here's here's an example of a good trailer. Yeah. I watched this trailer and I was like. Oh, this is great. I want to go see this. I know what this movie's about. It's a good story. I know what it's about. You know, I mean, the the marketing team did their job. (laughs) They created a synopsis of the movie in a minute or a minute and a half trailer. And I thought, wow, I can't wait to see this movie. You have one job marketing team. You have one job, put butts in seats. Yeah. But once again, I mean, you know, here, here's the thing about, about this is that, you know, the story is really cool because it was really Nike that made celebrity endorsements and sports athlete endorsements a thing. You know, I work in yeah. the music industry and having, you know, marquee artists and talent and up and coming talent latch onto your brand because it means something to them. It's how they create or how they yeah. perform. You know, Michael Jordan performs great because he has great shoes. Making that yeah. association makes you go, I want to be like Mike, right? That yeah, whole yeah, marketing absolutely. Thing. And it's like, I want to be like Jimmy Page or I want to be like B.B. King or I want to be like Eddie Van Halen, play these guitars, right? And so it it, it, it really changed an entire industry and in how the world looks at uh, endorsement deals. You know, I had heard that when they did sign Michael Jordan, they wind up, they wound up giving him stock in the company, uh-huh. and I and I had heard that had he held on to that stock, it would have been worth five billion dollars today. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's yeah. a great story. It's a great story. Crazy. Uh, comedic legend John Cleese is reviving the comedy classic Faulty Towers with Rob Reiner, Meathead. Uh, as they have Rob Reiner's Castle Rock behind the project with Cleese alongside his daughter, Camilla uh, Cleese, to explore how Basil Faulty navigates the modern world. Dave, it's a throwback, but it's not really. It's a... Uh it's a cool, I gotta, cool idea. You know something? This 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 is one of those moments where I'm going to say something and you're going to shake your head and go, oh, my gosh. Okay. But I actually had the pleasure of working with John Cleese. Uh, tell me. Not, not once, but multiple times. Tell me. And I have to tell you, I had dinner with John at a restaurant in Monaco. Oh, what? Yes. It was just the two of us. And believe it or not, I had I was recording him during the day at a at a radio station slash studio in Monaco because there was no standalone recording studio. Right. So we were we were I was recording him for a project and we had dinner that night. And by the way, it happened to be my birthday that year. Whoa. So when I got to the restaurant, I got shown to the table and then John showed up a few minutes behind me and he walks up to the table and, you know, he's a very tall guy. Uh He walks up to the table and he puts a, he puts a birthday card down on the table (laughs) in an envelope. 
Nice. He, he went through the trouble of getting a birthday card and he wrote a birthday card to me. You know what? He opened it. Dave opened up the card. It said, treat yourself nice. Get yourself some cologne. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I mean, it was, it, it was really terrific. And by the way, while we had dinner and we're chatting, I asked him if he ever thought about rebooting faulty towers. Uh huh. And, and at the time he said, no, you got to realize this is probably eight or nine years ago. Yes. 10, 10 years ago. Yes. Okay. Uh, and at the time he said, uh, no, he said, Dave, you know, I kind of feel like we did everything we were going to do with it. And so, you know, here's a great example of somebody who didn't think they were going to do something with a, a property that was very successful for them, changing their mind when they have a new idea that comes up, you know? And oh, yeah. so this, this, this is a new idea for Basil Faulty. His daughter is now running a boutique hotel and he comes in to work with her. Yes. Right. Or they both open it together or whatever the, 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 the concept is they've come up with. But I have to tell you, he, he's, he's really, a, I think, a great comic genius, a wonderful writer and a great collaborator. You know, I mean, I, I actually had the chance of recording him in Los Angeles, in Monaco and in Melbourne, Australia. Do you realize how this sounds? <laughs> I, I know, I know it, sounds, it sounds really crazy, but I have to tell you, it was absolutely wonderful. And and by the way, in Australia, I wound up flying down there and I got in on a, early on a Sunday morning. And I went right from the airport to the uh, Formula One race in Melbourne. <laughs> I was at the Formula One race all day Sunday, got sleep Sunday night. On Monday, I went to a recording studio and recorded John. And while I was recording John during a break, he said, Dave, you know, I'm doing my show tonight. He was doing his one man show that he was taking around the world. And he says, I'd love for you to come. So I, I, I got, my, I got a ticket for myself and my two friends, Stuart and Fiona who live in Melbourne. They, the, the three of us went to see John's one man show on that Monday night. And then on, believe it or not, on Tuesday, I got on a plane and flew back to Los Angeles. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a, it was a whirlwind. Lifestyles of Richard I, Famous. I know, I know this sounds all crazy, but I have to say he's a super nice guy. And we brought up, you know, we were talking about John Cleese and Faulty Towers. I'm thrilled about this, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing this uh, this new show. I am too. Uh, John Cleese is one of my favorites, and of course, working with you, I can't. I I didn't think that this story would come out, but it just sounds like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I, I was over there with John Cleese and Monaco, me. and then I was here in all laughing this. about it because it sounds so crazy. You it, know, you pinch yourself and go, "Did this really happen?" Yeah. No, this was this was really kind of fun. So, you still you know, and by the way, the project that I I did with him, uh, it, he was the narrator for a series of Winnie the Pooh educational films I did. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. It was, was, that, was that the Interpol thing? Uh, no, no, that was uh, that was different. That was different. Yeah, well, this is that a, was uh, that was the Pumba and Timon oh, safety oh, smart. Oh, that was space safety yeah. smart. Okay, yeah, I just was like, wow, this is super cool. You know, it just uh, it sounds amazing. Though the the other thing is, you must have a shoebox full of memories. Like, and I hope you ended up keeping 
the birthday card from John Cleese. I really do. I, I do have that birthday card someplace. I, I have to go dig it out. It's 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 in all the crap I have. I was gonna say I put that in a shadow yeah. box somewhere. That's something to be. That's something to show off. It's cool. Well, another uh, another great as we we uh, oftentimes do remember at the very end of these segments, composer Burt Bacharach. The smooth virtuoso of 1960s pop dies at the age of 94. Wow, what a great life. Raindrops keep falling on my head. One of those songs, of course, The Carpenter's Close to You, which I, you know, which is just an amazing song. When I think about AM Gold and I think about all those great pop songs from the 60s and 70s, I think about Burt Bacharach. And uh, it's just uh, what a what a great legacy he leaves behind with so many great hit songs. He's one of these composer songwriters that to me crossed over uh, generations, you know, yeah. and I, I don't care how old you are, you know, whether you're you're in your 20s or you're in your 90s, uh, you know who Burt Bacharach is. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of you know? My, a lot of my generation will remember Burt Bacharach from the scenes he had in Austin Powers movies with Mike Myers uh, sitting on the double double decker uh, uh, bus over there in the UK. Uh, he referred to Bacharach as his good luck charm. At least Mike Myers did. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'll always remember his great songs. I first got introduced to him from my mom, of course. Uh, you know, uh, hearing songs like "What's New Pussycat" and uh, you know from Tom Jones and uh, the Carpenters, which was huge. So, you know, rest in peace. What a great, great Oscar award winning, Grammy award winning singer songwriter. Love it. And also another uh, legendary. Uh, creator Hugh Hudson, uh, director of Chariots of Fire, just an amazing film, by the way, uh, dies at the age of 86. This Oscar nom British member, British Helmer, also hit with Greystoke in the Legends of uh, Tarzan. Um, and there you go. I know, Hugh yeah, he had, a, he had a great career. I mean, Chariots of Fire. I mean, you know, he was, uh, I mean, just a hit out of, out, right out of the gate oh, with yeah. that film. I yes. mean, that that's just a classic uh, film. And who can forget the soundtrack? And, oh, yeah. you know, he took a chance by having Vangelis. Is it Vangelis? Vangelis, I think, yes. Yeah, Vangelis do do the uh, the score for that. Uh, but, you know, uh, Hugh Hudson was one of these guys that came out of commercials, yes. advertising, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and and went into filmmaking. And so, you know, uh, I have to say, what an incredible life he had. Great career. Absolutely. And another one that you need to check out is his Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, uh, starring Christopher Lambert. That was a great film, too. I really yeah, it really it. was. It I, was a terrific film. I really enjoyed it. Well. There you go. Hugh Hudson, please rest in peace. And now we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, our interview. So sit back and relax. Enjoy our time with part two of uh, legendary animator Ron Husband here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Al John, here we are. We're back again with uh, the great, uh, legendary Disney animator, Ron Husband, for part two of our conversation. Ron, welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast. As you can hear, our studio audience is going wild. All right, all right. Good to, good to be cheered on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Ron, um, we left off uh, last week uh, talking a little bit about Black Cauldron. Uh, and the fact that 
the Fox and the Hound really was your first animator credit, right? Uh, no, no, no. Small, you, you, small. This, the small one was uh, was the first animator credit, but but then uh, uh, when you were on Fox and the Hound, you obviously were a character animator. We talked right. a little bit about that, and then we, we kind of talked about the Black Cauldron, but there, there was something you were saying to me right before we started recording this this part two interview, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about that because you really were the first black animator at Disney Animation. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. On uh, I got first screen credit on on the small one, right. Uh, and now, and that was the first time. Now, a lot of people in our listening audience will say, "Hey, wait a second. What about Floyd Norman? Because we've had we've had Floyd on uh, on the show, but Floyd was the first black artist at Disney Animation, right? Right, right, right. Uh-huh. Because yeah. he he had done some assistant work, and then he went into story, and he started doing uh-huh. story and storyboarding and whatnot. Uh, but you were actually the first black animator, and how, how did like? Was there any issue that came up with that, or did you just get your hundred feet and and that was the end of it, or was it celebrated? Uh, well, um, it was celebrated uh, in the black community. Uh, they uh, they had um, uh, got in uh, Tom Wilhite and publications, um, and um, Ellen Dinwiddie. They were sort of uh, given my case you know, to, as a sort of a advertise and they um, uh, sent out information to um, to um, black um, cities that had a black publication like the Sentinel here, Sentinel here in LA. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a um, place in, in Detroit and um, Ebony Magazine, you know, they carried articles on uh, on blacks being at Disney. And so, uh, you know, like I said, it, it wasn't uh, like widely publicized, you know, cause again, you were talking like 1970, 79, 77, 78, 79 when I was promoted. And, and it really, there really wasn't a, 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 that much of a consciousness back then about no. diversity, right? Right. Yeah. 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 It was just, just starting to, to pick up uh, traction then, but like I said it wasn't that uh, big, big deal. And, and again, you think about animation back in the seventies. You know, it, it wasn't as big as it is today. You know, it's just right. huge. Yeah, it was. It was a smaller industry. So, yeah, smaller industry at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was, um, uh, like I said, my my first um, uh, screen credit, and you know, and being an, an animator at the studio, which uh, you know made. Uh, Big, um, big headlines in the sense of uh, you know black kids were able to see that a black had something to do with uh, with production of these uh, these animated films that uh, were universally seen, and uh, yeah, and, and and that was really kind of about the time I, I would think you know within a few years that you were starting to get more diversity into the animated films. Right, you right, know, yeah, you, yeah. you you had you had uh, you know Aladdin and Pocahontas, and you were starting to uh, to like the films felt like they were starting to diversify, uh, right. if you will, uh, uh, you know, both racially and gender wise as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, 
what did you did you feel like it, there was any obstacle to becoming an animator at Disney or was it just a natural like you got in there you went through the training uh, you know was there anything that was going to stop you yeah well you know after um my training period I was uh sent down to do in betweens for Frank Thomas uh-huh. and uh, you know doing Frank's in betweens um for on, on rescuers, you know, since early on yeah. in my, in my uh, career at Disney, maybe you see two months of uh, since maybe uh, three or four months into my uh, my time at Disney, and I get called up on the third floor, uh, executives, uh, and the production manager says, You know, you're not gonna uh, be an animator here, uh, and um, you know, Hanna Barbera filmation uh, somewhere else, but uh, not here. And I didn't really. I mean, it was basically a one-sided conversation. It wasn't like did back and forth. Uh, he didn't give you a re- did he give you a reason or anything? No, no, no just uh, this is the way it is. Now, this is like not like a, a, a studio-wide. Um, it wasn't a policy. Policy, you know, but this just, was this one individual. This, yeah, this one individual, and uh, I, I just, and when I you know left his office, and you know I just went back to my in betweens. <laughs> you know, Frank wasn't complaining about my in betweens. Um, yeah, you know, and it's it's like you know if I was a uh, you know like a quarterback on a football team, and they took my playbook and they you know took my uniform and said you can't go to this meeting, you can't go to that. Everything just went back to to normal, you know, doing sure. in betweens, uh, Eric's uh, lectures, and being in and included in everything. So nothing really changed, you know. So I didn't really sweat it um, because you know, in in the road to being an animator, uh, and I was an in betweener, you become a in between with more experience becomes a, a breakdown person and a, and a breakdown person more experience becomes an assistant animator. And yeah. So you could be, a, you could have a career in any of those steps towards an animator. And, and we both know, we we both have known people who were yeah. a career in those positions, right? Yeah. yeah. And, my, and Mike McKinney was in the program. Yeah. Like Mike McKinney, he was in the, in the program before I was, maybe three years before I got to the program. I got the program in 1974. Mike had been there maybe uh, maybe in the first wave in '71, and yeah. he his career uh, went off into uh, cleanup. Right, right. The same trainee program, and he and he ended up in, in cleanup. Um, so you know that incident just really didn't. I mean, it didn't deter me because you know I was doing something right. other than block diagrams and flowcharts. You know, yeah, I yeah. Paid to push a pencil, and so I'm happy as a lark, you know, being able to do what I'm doing and, uh, and being being included because I was not, not included in any of the, any of the activities and any of the learning curve that was happening. And so it wasn't like, you know, that I'm feeling left out. You know, I was included in everything. Right. Right. And and, and I'm imagining like at that stage, because I I think back to when I started out, because when I started out as an in-betweener, Right. I, you're kind of focused on what you're doing and you're not necessarily focused on five years down the road. Like I'm going to be an animator next year or something like that. You're just focused on doing, working on the picture that you're working on and doing the job you're doing and make sure you're doing it good. Right. 
Right. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can to do these in-betweens for Frank Thomas, y'all. I'm Frank I'm doing I mean. in-between. And, you know, being new to animation. I mean, it's like, you know, three months ago, I knew nothing about animation. Now I'm doing in-betweens for Frank Thomas. And I'm just learning. And it's just like this big learning curve that, that I'm involved in. And so this is just uh, great for me. So it, it didn't really... Uh, uh, deter me from doing the best I could where I was uh, with what uh, what I had. Yeah, and, and so let me ask you this: when when you did the hundred feet on the small one and became an animator, was that person still at the studio, or they had gone by then? Uh, I'm not quite sure because you know um, there was not a whole lot of interaction between you know uh, departments, particularly right. uh, the executive department. Exactly. Because yeah. Ed Hansen, you know, our, our, our department manager handled all of everything. He, right. He was just, just Ed Hansen. I mean, now they got, you know, 50 million um, um, people doing doing stuff. You know, right, Hansen right. Did, he did everything. He was a secretary, did everything, you know, for his animation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I said it didn't, um, you know, it, it didn't, did, it, 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 didn't it, it didn't make a difference. It really didn't make a difference because uh, I went back and you know I, I was not withheld from from any of the activities that yeah, yeah. the other trainees and other people who were on the the track to uh, you know towards perhaps yeah. becoming an animator. Uh, but you know I you know, it was just you know we're here we're going we're in the race and so you know, let, let's let's start running. I mean I I'd like to believe and I I, I always try to believe that it was always really based on your artistic abilities and that was it. I mean, that that's what I always felt, but you know, I I'm looking at it from a completely different vantage point, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but, but to me, I've always told people, you know, over the years when I've gone out to sp- speak at schools and things like to me, the only thing that mattered was your talent. Yeah. And, I mean that. I mean that's my unique experience. You know, it's, uh, I'm pretty sure you know it's not. It hasn't happened. Uh, you know that type of thing. It's not a regular occurrence. It's just that this person just <laughs> did this and yeah. had this frame of mind. And um, but you know, like I said it didn't really affect me one way or the other. Well, well that, which is great. So you know, you you become an animator on the small one, you animate on Fox and the Hound and the Black Cauldron we touched on uh, in, uh, you know, last week. Uh, after Black Cauldron, you went on to the Great Mouse Detective. Right. And uh, what character did you do on the Great Mouse Detective? And do you have any fond memories from that picture? Uh, let's see. I worked on multiple characters, uh, you know, coming off of Cauldron, um, and I think it was uh, John uh, Musker and, and Ron Clements, uh, their first directing uh, appearance. Greg, yeah. And uh, they assembled the crew. And at that time, I think, let's see, that was, yeah, they put us off the, off the, off the lot <laughs> in 85. <laughs> so we're in these warehouses in Glendale. We're making this picture. And I did um, um, multiple characters. Um, uh, I did some Radigan. Um, Let's see the the dog Toby the dog. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I don't know if I worked on. Uh, let's see. What's it? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Basil. Basil and, or, uh, and Dawson. And Dawson. 
Yeah. Didn't do very much, if any. I can't, can't remember. I just remember, uh, you know, Toby and um, and some yeah. Reagan stuff. Yeah, you know, the one thing that comes to mind for me uh, when I think a great mouse detective was when they did a test screening and the audience reacted so well to Toby the dog that Jeffrey Katzenberg came back and said, we've got to put more Toby scenes in the movie. You know, (laughs) and and at the 11th hour, like months before the movie was going to be released, they they added those Toby scenes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That happened. It happened to me. That was something else. Um, and then from uh, uh, from Great Mouse, Oliver and Company. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, um, a more um, multiple characters in the sense uh, that I remember Einstein did some of the the bulldog, um, and some um, um, uh, uh, not Oliver, but um, what's what's uh, the dog uh, Billy Joel's? Uh, oh. Uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm trying to remember the name of the character too. Yeah, uh, 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 but yeah, I, I uh, and, and a little bit of um, I didn't do any sights. That was Glenn's character. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, so dogs in the um, um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, but yeah, uh, but uh, Dodger, uh, you Dodger. Dodger, there you go. Do- Dodger, but, yeah. This was the the start of my. Um, my multiple multiple character and crowd scene period. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, somebody's yeah. got to do them right. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I kept and during this time, I said, you know, I, I kept on like um, trying to have a you know this positive attitude, like you know, you got to eat your your vegetables before you get a you know you get your dessert. So yeah, I'm, I'm devouring my vegetables, thinking, oh, you know, maybe they'll have a a, a, a a single character um, personality uh, scene that I that they'll give me you know, that, that soon. I yeah. get this, 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 this multiple character stuff, and um, and so you know I, I got pretty good doing and planning out multiple character scenes. <laughs> so wow! You get good at something. Wow. You know they they, they sort of pigeonhole you. Well, I can. I, I was going to say when you get good at something, they keep giving you more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, more and more and more. So, um, and that, it, that that well uh, that sort of um, propelled me into doing more um, my my illustrations, uh, yeah. painting illustrations at home. So that uh, you know, if I wasn't being really creatively fulfilled at at, at Disney, then you know I can do some more creative things and be fulfilled sure. by pen and ink work. So that sort of sort of was a catalyst that pushed me towards that um, and doing some pen and ink work, which uh, you know it turned out okay. Did did you did you feel like when you went on to Oliver and Company that those experiences of doing Toby on Great Mouse Detective and working on Fox and the Hound, uh, the quadrupeds, uh, you know, animal characters. Was it starting to get a little easier for you on Oliver and Company, or or do you still feel like quadrupeds are challenges? Uh, you know, they're always challenging because, uh, they're you know, they're different. You know, the dogs, cats, you know, they walk differently. You know, yeah. elk walk walks differently than a, than a goat. You know, uh, there's... There's uh, always some uh, some challenges and challenges 
and um, and difficulties to 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 um, to take into consideration when you're you're planning out your anim- animation, yeah. which which uh, you know I really appreciate Disney for doing in the sense that they um, they always give us time to wrap up and do research. Yeah, but that's like months of research, you know. And uh, so that was something that I really enjoyed uh, about the studio. And, and then from Oliver and Company, you went on to Little Mermaid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Little Mermaid. Uh, you know, uh, I guess is that is that the, is that noise killing you? That's okay. No, I I like I like the ambient noise of a bird. It's not even. It, it, it's like, I got to tell you, Ron. When I'm writing, I'm actually listening to a mix of music with nature sounds. And one of the nature sounds that's mixed in is birds chirping. So, so I, until you just said it, it, I I wasn't even registering it. It was just, you know, background noise. So, I'm moving further out of No, no, no. I, I think it's fine. But, but on, uh, Little, Little Mermaid, uh, what character did you do on Little Mermaid? And and again, that was a completely different picture because that picture was all underwater for the most part. For the most part, and uh, yeah, some Eric uh, did some uh, Grimsby, uh, lots of uh, multiple character scenes. You know, there's a shot where the, you know the, a bird's eye view. There's a, a thousand characters running around. <laughs> yeah, I did that scene. Oh um, my gosh! Uh, you know, the carriage going over the uh, um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that, and that, and, 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 yeah, and that that carriage was done as a CG element, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, and then um, oh, there, you know, the pirates up in up in the top, and then something they yelling something into the camera. Um, the the wave comes in on, on the boat, and you know, these guys running around on the, on the ship. Uh, uh yeah, that, you know, um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, so, you know, just a, a ton of um, of uh, multiple character yeah. scenes that, yeah, that was I was doing. Um, and, I, and I think John Musker wrote me a note, you know, a little, silly little card afterwards and said, you oh, thank you for doing all those uh, multiple characters. But, yeah, because they're not, you know, they're, um, but, you know, but but doing those multiple character scenes, you know, you have, you have to, to plan them out so the characters yeah. don't run each other. You got the timing, you, and you and you doing, you know, you you, and so you know all that learning from Frank about you know uh, thumbnail timing, working out scenes so that there's clarity, uh, and in plus the drawing you have to put into. Uh, that yeah. and uh, and doing it in a timely manner, you know, so you don't get bogged down with um, uh, you know these so many characters, but you you work through it. Uh, I said and, and and being able to do uh, do it in a timely manner, which really you know once I got out of the um, <laughs> broke out of that that most of the characters uh, stuff. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about that when we get to the, the to this uh, picture that that happened. Then it was. It became easy. I say easy, but more understandable. And I say, I guess, easy for me to plan out a single character with those same concepts of clarity. Right. Um, you know, being able to 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 uh, communicate effectively 
with uh, the least amount of uh, confusion. Sure. You're always playing to your audience and trying to, to make your audience uh, get into the story, telling the story. And so, you know, corralling all that knowledge that for, for, for um, uh, a multiple character scene and now you got one character to deal with, which was um, really laying the foundation for me to be able to uh, to animate and animate uh, more effectively. And yeah. Um, and I was always like in the top um, third or um, of footage producers, of right? Footage per, per week, you yeah. Because uh, you know they started to you know to to, to keep track of you know, and and, 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 that, and that that was important. I it mean, was, you know, because I, I, we've we've talked about this uh, on this show with other guests. Uh, you know, it's an art form, but it's also a business. Yeah, yeah. and you got to find that balance. You know. Right. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know, you know, from pushing out a picture once every three years, and now you're boiling down to you put maybe putting out a picture a year. You know that? Yeah, yeah. You know, started on, on Great Mouse after after the uh, after Cauldron, you know, and, it's, yeah, you, and I mean, at the end of the picture, people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Jeffrey said, okay, if you did it once, you guys can do it again. You know? <laughs> so we're back into the, the loop of, of doing these pictures, man. And uh, one, one after another. And the downtime between the pictures where you could actually recuperate, that window got, got closed more well, and more after yeah. each picture. I mean, until it was just going from one picture to the next and you right. were, Literally just starting to pick up on on the next picture after you just finished. You might have had a a week or two or so to to kind of kick back a little bit, but you know, not much more than that. Yeah, yeah, and and then you know they, they sort of eased up a little bit when they had overlapping productions. You know, you start yeah. one and they start another yeah. production similar, so you 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 weren't and and um, so much. Uh, uh, under the time time constraints, even though it was, uh, you know, uh, had to get the picture done by certain, because, you know, they, they sell all the rights to the, you know, remember McDonald's was doing the, the, the little toys or yeah. the Happy Meal? And, you know, you had to have a picture uh, in the theaters because McDonald's had, you know, they were, they were making these, these little trinkets to put in the Happy Meal. Yeah. And they got to have that stuff ready to sell at a certain date. So you had a picture... Yeah. And, and, and you know something, we never miss, we never missed a release date. No, no, never. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, honestly, it never happened, but, but it was always funny to see the newbies in production management that came onto a movie and halfway into it, they'd be white as sheets and, and they'd be, be scared that we weren't going to get the picture finished. Yeah. You, you know, and, yeah. uh, and and we were all kind of, you know, the veterans of getting pictures done and we knew we were going to hit the mark. Yeah. You know, so anyway, it was just uh, um, uh, something else. But that's th during this period. Uh, I mean, Oliver and Company, Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast. It was like the speed was picking up. Yeah. Yeah. You know. What do you, what do you think? Um, uh, uh, do you have any fond memories off of the Little Mermaid? Let's see. Let's, um, 
Because I know, I know, like doing, I do doing multiple character scenes. Though, I mean, you, you have to keep track of so many things, like you were saying, for the clarity of the scene, and to also make sure the timing was working and the overlapping of the timing with all these multiple characters, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, there was, you know, like I said, I look at it as as a learning experience, you know, and I mean, look at everything, you know, it's a learning experience. I got a chance to draw a lot of different characters, um, you know, uh, so, but you know, I think, and I think we talked earlier about uh, how um, my pen and ink illustration sort of picked up. Uh, because uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, it, it's not the, the kind of thing that I, you know, relish doing. But I, you know, I did it. Uh, these these multiple character scenes, and um, but it sort of pushed me into uh, uh, being more creative uh, at home, where I could have some uh, some more creative uh, input in my own work. You know, yeah. And, you know, when you're when you have a single character, you got the character you're working on, you're thinking, you know, dialogue and acting and all the, you know, the, the, the stuff that, uh, that's going to make this character uh, unique and and to um, to communicate with the audience. Um, and, you know, that just wasn't really happening with, you know, multiple character scenes and, you know, this, this you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the flyover birds. Yeah, the, 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 that big crowd, yeah. Crowd stuff. Yeah. You know, so rather than being, um, you know, just having a, a negative attitude or about it or just, you know, this is something to do, then I, I still have a real positive attitude about what I was doing at, at, at the studio and go home and just really sort of pour myself uh, into my pen and ink work, um, which uh, really, you know, really helped me to, uh, you know, to navigate through that uh you know, that time when uh, I wish I could do you know, something that was a little more meaty. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we're going in and, and asking, uh, you know, I won't name any names, but uh, one of the um, um, executives of, of the uh, of the art, uh, excuse me, of the uh, animation department, uh, you know, get out of this, doing these crop scenes. <laughs> And I uh, said, even if I make a mistake, you know, I will, you know, I, I can go back in and I'll fix something. <laughs> animators don't make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, so I, I, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, so I just went on back and just uh, continued in my um, power scenes and, and multiple character uh, stuff. <laughs> But when when did when did the when did you sort of break out of the crowds because you did break through it, you know? Yeah, um, and, and, and by the way, I still hearing your story and and knowing what you were working on through those pictures and and knowing other animators that were doing similar types of things, I think it gives you a much stronger foundation, yeah. having gone through those things. And literally, it did. You know when I when and you asked me you know, when that broke out. We, we have we got to uh, rescuers down under yet? <laughs> uh, well, we're ne- that's next up. Rescuers down under. Okay, yeah. Uh, rescuers down under. Uh, I hadn't been uh, cast, and um, and uh, early on they ran into story problems. The end of, you know, we went through training and you know, stuff between the last picture and, and, the, and rescuers down under is going to start. 
and uh, they were just having some some uh, some story problems that they need to, to iron out. So they, they said, yeah. okay, well, instead of starting this week, it'll be about another two weeks. And when and during that time, we were, I think Walt was Stansfield was having some classes, you know. So we were we we're, were coming to uh, coming to come to work. Going to classes and, uh, and so, you know, some was just sort of, you know, just sort of coming to work and just sort of <laughs> kick back, you know. But you know, but then there was, uh, you know, going to cl- the class were made available for us. And I, um, what I did, I had a friend who had a, a son that was about ten years old, and I called him up and said, "Will, can I come over and uh, and uh, film your son?" And said, so, "Yeah, come on." Uh, so I came. I went over his house and I filmed the son running around the backyard playing and stuff. And, and I and based on that, I did a test on Cody. And um, I took it to uh, Hendel. Hendel uh, and Mike Gabriel, right? Gabriel yeah, were uh, directing. I showed it to them, and they uh, they put me in a unit with uh, Russ Edmonds. Uh, yeah, uh, Cody unit. Uh-huh. And so that was my breaking out of doing crowd scenes. Uh, I was able to to do Cody, and uh, like I said, all the knowledge I had gained during those multiple character scenes, I was able to focus in on one character, and you know, and all the you know the clarity and the timing and you know all the stuff uh, that that takes to to put together a, a good crowd scene, focus in on one character. And you know, it, it made it um, really, really uh, more understandable and plain. And again, picking up the from Frank Thomas's yeah. uh, doing his in betweens and see how thorough he was and his uh, planning out a scene and thumbnailing and and uh, and that. And then again, focusing in on one character. And again, it really uh, helped my um, um, footage. Average because I, I was always up there before the top. I, I was going to say doing one going from all those crowds and being in the top third to doing one character. You must have been at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah I was up darn there, close uh, to it. Yeah, I was up there always. Uh, you know, in some weeks I was on top, and you know, but I was always up there. Uh, yeah, in in the in the in this top uh, group of of per footage per week. You know? Yeah, and, you were uh, battling it out with Mark Hen. <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah um but yeah that that experience and uh really helped me but you know I, uh, on the rest of down under uh i broke out into again being able to do a single character uh, with cody yeah. and that was sort of the start of uh you know being in in units of doing uh, uh individual characters these are characters yeah right? And, and uh and I'm imagining you 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 got your shot at doing your fair share of emotional scenes and you know expressive scenes. Yeah, yeah, emotional yeah. Uh, dialogue, uh, yeah. you know, uh action. Uh so yeah, it was it was just um uh being able to again uh, have more of an expression on um uh, uh you know these individual characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and again and and, and Getting the kickstart in my illustration work, you know, my illustration work uh, is really it really uh, took off, and so I was doing like multiple things. Uh, uh, and I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just like a, a therapy for me to do uh, some pen and ink work, but you know, pen and ink work that would that would go on to win awards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in competitions and etc. And um, 
So and, you know, and, was, and selling it through galleries, right? Yeah, and, and um, yeah, um, and then that that really helped me further on when I uh, went off into uh, publications. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, illustration. Work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, a- after Rescuers Down Under, you went on to Beauty and the Beast, and again, you're part of the Gaston unit, so you're doing a single character. Yeah, right. so with, you work. With, you were working with, with Andreas. With Andreas, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and uh, that was uh, again, uh, you know, being able to to uh, work with uh, um, uh, animator like uh, Andreas. You know, and uh, he's, he's always done great work. And, uh, and a super nice guy, isn't he? I mean, he's such yeah, a yeah. he's such a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anything that jumps out to you about Beauty and the Beast? I mean, the thing that comes to mind for me, by the way, is the fact that that really was the picture that kind of became the date movie when it was released, and they were getting a lot of adult. Uh, like evening showings they were filling up uh, yeah. and that seemed to be like the that moment that Disney animation was back on top right literally uh you know Beauty and Beast got a best picture nomination right when uh during the time when uh there was no animated uh, animation feature uh category mm-hmm. so it was battling out with live action and I think Silence of the Lambs won that year but you know we were up up there with the top five, and I think the um, uh, what's the award that comes before that? Um, not the Critics' Choice, but it's the uh, oh, the Golden Globes. Well, yeah, it was it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah, and, and so uh, you know, um, Gary and and Kirk Wise, did, yeah, yeah Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise, the directors, you know, yeah, and, and probably you know at some time you know that I mean you look back and see how great these guys were to. to to, you know, to to oversee us into a best picture category. I mean, that'll yeah. never happen again, you know. Yeah, no, I mean it's never going to happen again because now there is a animated uh, best animated feature category, right, right, you right. know. Uh, and uh, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of fond memories from that picture because it really was a turning point. It was also the first animated feature. Beauty and the Beast was the first animated feature to break a hundred million dollars at the box office. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it's it's even yeah, it's, it's great to look at even today, you know. But like just yeah. Say, yeah, working on Gaston and um, at the you know the, and, and and some of the beasts because he gets into a, on the rooftop, you know, they're fighting, and so I, yeah. I choreograph the fight uh, up there on the roof where they're you know they're turning around, they're doing all kind of stuff, and Gaston's got this uh, thing he's using like, like a baseball bat, and you know, and so that was a, a fun uh, time to be able to. Uh, um, to choreograph all that yeah. uh, with the Beast and Gaston, uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, uh, that that was a really uh, great picture. There's a lot a lot of fond memories on that picture, yeah. and uh, uh, really was the, the I I think the the jumping off point. Now, John, I, I have to break in because I, yeah. as much as I love Beauty and the Beast, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Paul Abdul. Can we talk about Paul Abdul for a minute? <laughs> because you know as as many awards as beauty and the beast had you know paul abdul did win a grammy in 1991 she also was nominated for many video music awards on mtv in 1990 but you know it did win best music video and you were a part of that and along with some other disney veterans as well 
I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so it was pretty uh, awesome. I mean, you were you were doing all that. Uh, you know, what was it like working with some of your uh, your Disney fellow Disney uh, alum or uh, not alum, but your your teammates there? You had Ruben A. Aquino, David Perksma. You know, been on the show before, talking to us, uh, animating for Paul Abdul and Opposites Attract. What was that like? Yeah, well, <laughs> let me uh, let's see. I was ruined with Jack Mueller. <laughs> uh, and Jock's pass. Uh, I, I didn't know he had passed, but uh, a couple of years ago, I, I was informed. But I was uh, work with. I was in room with Jock, and he says, uh, you know, they're they're probably about halfway through or or so with the picture, and he says that you know we need some help, and you want to come over and uh, you know help us out. I said, oh, sure, you know, um, because, you know, the, a bunch of Disney animators on, on the picture, great animation, right? And, and, and they're all doing freelance, right? Yeah, we're mean, free, they're freelance. Yeah, yeah, everybody's freelancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, with the Chris Buck was directing, uh, uh, Chris Buck was directing. So, he had a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, real class um, animators and, and, and direction that was, that was being given. And so, I go over with Jacques after work. Uh, to pick up some uh, some scenes, uh, you know, and we go to this house and this in in this guy's living room. <laughs> and this is not like I'm going to the studio. We go in this guy's apartment. and He's got this and laid out on the floor of his living room is all these scenes. <laughs> Give me a um, a model sheet. Um, grab some scenes and. Um, X sheets, and that was it. I never met anybody that I, you know, that there was some, you know, the other guys never met them. I just, you know, did the scenes, take them back over there, and um, that was it. You know, what I mean? well, it was great <laughs> I mean, because it's very like this, form, this formal studio. It was like, like his living room, and you know, these seats. <laughs> And, and that's typical back in those days when, yeah, when yeah, you were doing totally. these small projects or, yeah. you know, like a music video or something, it was being done out of somebody's, you know, house or some yeah. small little, uh, you know, one, one office apartment, uh, you know, studio kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was, that was, and, you know, music videos weren't like they are today where, you know, everybody's got to have a music video, but music video was in, in its infancy at the time. You know? Yeah. And uh, and and this was this holds together, you know. Um, it's you know I, I've got you know, some my thumbnails and and uh, and some cells uh, that I show my class, and then we pull it up and we watch it. Uh, and you know, um, but there was you know the photostats because because all the choreography and they had uh, photostats as well as um, her dance partner right. that, that was changed into uh, uh, the scat cat, right? Yep. And um, uh, and then afterwards, <laughs> after it was all all over, um, you know, we've taken the scenes in and pictures all done. And, you know, Jacques and I go over to the apartment to get paid. And, and so now, I mean, again, his whole front living room is covered with all these cells. So you got want some cells. And so we grab some cells. And, oh, wow. You know, I, I got... Paul Abdul, uh, <laughs> SketchCat cells and uh, and photo stats, you know that nice. uh, that I use. You know when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm just sort of uh, showing showing uh, the kids some uh, some live action animation com- combination. You know, you know same things are are, are true with the um, you know your your uh, 
a peg bar. She only is yeah. every every literally every um, photograph of of her. Dang, we have you know, yeah. Every frame was printed as a yeah. So you knew yeah. where, where she was. You know where where the cat was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, um, and so yeah, it it, it was uh, a, a fun experience, short experience, but fun experience. So I said I, I got there on the tail end of it, just trying to help them get the thing done. Nice. And, and you didn't actually eat. Uh, you didn't actually meet Paula Abdul, did you? No, no. I mean, everything was just at Be, because the, they had filmed. They had already filmed her on yeah. a stage someplace. Yeah, they had, they had yeah. filmed her on the stage. Yeah. They had, um, um, you know, everything all all photostatted. So you picked up a scene as well as the the photostats, and just ran with it. You know, um, oh. but yeah, all that had been done. The music had been recorded. You know, all nine yards had been done. Yeah. And, 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 and just add, add the animation. And, and, you know, I was going to mention here that, you know, when you said uh, music videos were in their infancy, MTV had only launched in 1981. So this is only 1991. So, you well, know, actually it was it, released in 1989, if you want to go well, back. Okay. So, so it's like, yeah, they didn't, I mean, it didn't, it didn't win the award until the following year, but yeah, I mean, it's just so, yeah, just only in a few years, everything kind of yeah. really ballooned. Eight, 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 MTV was around for eight or nine years before that came out. It's crazy to know? think. So the video still holds about, up. <laughs> and, that, and by the way, that's when they were starting to hit their stride, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, because that that Paul Abdul video with the animation, that was an expensive video for its day. Yeah. And and of course, animation, you look at 89, 90. I mean, that's your in animation boom right there over at Disney. Yeah. It's just everything starting to come to fruition you yeah. know, with Mermaid and all the other stuff, you know, that Bluth was doing and the new guys. And so there you go. Right. Animation was big time. I love it. Yeah, and and then Ron from from Beauty and the Beast, you went on to Aladdin. You stuck with Andreas. You worked on Jafar. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, in quick succession, it was Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and Pocahontas. I mean, those were like four huge movies. Right. Right. Yeah. Because each one was was sort of topping the other. You know. Yeah. Starting with um, Great Miles. You know, made. You know, some money, and then you know, we did Mermaid, and Mermaid made more money. <laughs> and then we kept on, you know, and it just kept on making more and more and more and more. And and and, and we were out producing uh, studio TV and and films that the studio was putting out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah we, there, there was a period there where where the live action films were not that great. Yeah, you know, yeah. they weren't doing that well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, on Aladdin, uh, you're, you're back with, uh, uh, Ron Clemens and, uh, uh, John Musker, right. uh, who, who directed Little Mermaid and Great Mouse Detective. So they're doing, uh, uh, Aladdin and, uh, any, any, uh, thing come to mind from Aladdin, uh, that stands out for you? Uh, you know, again, just a, another, uh, Great, encouraging experience with with Andreas, you know, as, yeah. as supervising the animator on on that, and uh, you know, and, and dealing with the, you know, each character is unique, you know, with yeah. its uh, human character, like you know, this this old, um, thin, you know, with, you know bizarre uh, 
he was he Jafar, was a much yeah. he yeah he was Jafar was a much more reserved character and yeah. much more expressive with his eyes and much more calculating compared to the picture before when you worked on Gaston who was more gregarious and yeah, flamboyant you know, and flamboyant and showy muscular yeah, yeah. so you had body types to, to deal with each each character becomes unique and that, that becomes a uh, you know just a really uh, challenging part, uh, you know, to pull them off believably. But but you you know all through this period, as I recall, I, I remember you know I would walk uh, over to the to the Imagineering commissary or or go down the street. I'd see you sitting someplace with your sketchbook drawing. I mean, yeah. you were always drawing human figures. Yeah, yeah, and again, you know, going back to high school and being encouraged by my high school teacher uh, to carry sketchbook, and you know, that 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 literally becomes the the uh, the backbone of um, my art. You know, yeah. I, and, and when I'm teaching, I use I, I put a imaginary word on the back on the on the board. I put first sketch, illustration, animation, and one word. <laughs> and because you know the things that you look for in a quick sketch are the same things you look for in an illustration, and the same things you look for in animation, balance, yeah. portion, perspective. You, you got you know timing, but you want to say as much as you can in a single drawing, an illustration, a quick sketch, and you say you want to say something literally in. Animation, but you're seeing it in a series of drawings. Illustration, you're seeing communicating in one drawing. In animation, you're communicating in a series of drawings. But yeah. it's all story. It's a communication. And how effectively can you be in an illustration? Quick yeah. sketch done in 60 seconds or less. You know, And the only difference between a quick sketch and my illustration is that time. You, know, you yeah. spend time, you can flesh it out. Animation, you're doing a similar thing, but you're doing it in a series of drawings. And you got timing, squash and stretch, and the same balance, proportion, perspective. All those things are, are this is overlap. You know, and so um, my quick catching was like my practice to be able to be a better illustrator, to be a better animator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really something else, and and I I'm not joking when I, I, when I say I always saw you with a sketchbook. I don't think even if you were walking someplace, you were carrying a sketchbook. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and that is literally true, uh, Dave. But you know, I, I I mean I I say I can't live without it. You know, don't no, live it, without it. It, <laughs> it, 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 it. It's like an extension of you. You know, you you always had it with you, and I and I always admire. That I think it was yes. it was fantastic. Yeah. And people say, you know, Brian, you ought to write a book about that. You ought to write a book about that. And, and when I started, you know, really started teaching, I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book about quick sketching because you know how do you capture a moment in time? By the time you put a pencil to paper, it's already gone. Right. And and, and what what are the dynamics that you have to uh, think about to be able to to quick sketch? And do it, you know, in sixty seconds or less. And I, I, I took five years off. I, you know, I was, I was doing um, freelance work, uh, doing yeah. book and magazine illustrations, etc. Said no, none of that. I'm not going to do my uh, personal pen and ink work. I'm going to just devote my time to looking through all these sketchbooks. Yeah. You know, 
almost 30, 40 years worth of sketchbooks. Wow. And you've got them all, right? You've kept them all. I, I, I saved them all. Yeah. Wow. I got them. You know, my wife said, you get, where are you going to do all that stuff? You know, I got them in, in boxes and in cabinets, you know, all over. And, um, yeah, but I, I, I went through them all to find, try to find images that was going to match the text. Yeah. My wife did all my scanning and stuff. So we, we, uh, you know, we put together the five years. We put it together, and, uh, and Don Hahn had just got through working with a guy by the name of David Bevins at Focal Press, uh-huh. uh, doing uh, Walt Sandsfield's um, uh, drawing. The, le- the, the lectures, yeah, yeah, and uh, and so he put me in contact with uh, with the uh, book editor who, who had, that he was working with to do that. And I sent him a rough copy of my book. Basically, it was just uh, you know, it's a lot of drawings and, and a little bit of dialogue. And and he looked at it. <laughs> the good thing, you know, you, you have uh, editors, you know, that, that that sort of help guide you along the way. Yeah. Because I, I never wanted to do a self-publishing thing. You know, I always always wanted to have a, a reputable publisher to do this. And and so he said, you know, I'll show it to my my group and you know, we'll see. And he said, well, you know, what's the difference? And, and so part of the thing that the answer was, well, what's the difference between Walt Sanchez's drawing the life and your question? Well, you know, Walt used models. You know, there yeah. were models that would come in and we draw from models. Well, I have all those notes, you know, uh, and my, you know, you're drawing from what you see in life every day. You, you, you're drawing from life. Now. You're just and drawing so from life. Yeah. Through the books, you say, "Oh, this they're the same." But you, you, if you see what the subject matter is, uh, you're drawing from a model with a pose, pose. But I'm drawing you quickly from what you see. You, you, you've seen that, and you got to you put it down. Your football game, basketball game, a lot of people picking up a piece of paper, body gesture. And again, that just really, really helped me to be able to uh, to do. Uh, the uh, the animation and the illustration that I'm doing, and I had a, a, uh, one of my titles for one of my chapters, you know, drawing children, right? So, right. so my 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 title was capturing children. <laughs> I'm sure they change. I'm sure the editor changed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, we got to change this. Yeah, we got to change this. <laughs> and, uh, so a couple of and, and then he says, you know, uh, it, it was originally going to be entitled "What's in a Line." Okay. And he says, well, we, you know, we got to capitalize on your name. I mean, you, Ron Husband, you know, you, you, you're you're somebody, right? So, so I, you know, so we changed, you know, um, quick sketching with Ron Husband, and, and uh, so. And, and that's the name of the book. It's Quick Sketching with Ron Husband. Yeah. And and we're gonna we're gonna put a, a link in uh, f- uh, the show notes uh, for people who might be interested in, in in purchasing that book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know it, we uh, you know it went to publication and uh, got published in uh, 2016, I believe. Yeah. And then um, it got translated into Japanese and Chinese. And you know, you look on uh, on Amazon and, and the reviews. It's got four and a half stars, uh, and and people writing and saying, you know, it's been uh, helpful, been beneficial. Sure. Um, so you know, it was uh, well worth um, the time, and uh, yeah, and basically, it's just to encourage artists to to draw more. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's also giving them the tools and, and and your, and your decades of experience uh, and and to inspire them and encourage them, uh, you know, and that, that's, what's so great about these books. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all right, we sidetracked onto your book, but I want to get back to your animation yeah. because you you did Jafar on Aladdin, on Lion King, you did Pumbaa. Uh, yeah, I did uh, actually half the first half the picture I did uh, Scar. Okay, so you were still working with Andreas, yeah, uh, yeah, Scar, uh, yeah, Scar, yeah. and uh, then the last half the picture of uh, Pumbaa and Timon, and you. Know, you you get screen credit. They gave me screen credit under under uh, Pumbaa and Timon. Okay, but, did, uh, but half about, about half and a half. That that's great. And and again, like Lion King was probably the pinnacle uh, uh, from a box office success standpoint. It was really the pinnacle of this um, renaissance of Disney animation. Um, I mean, uh, they built the new animation building because of the success of Lion King and uh, and it really spawned uh, a, a lot. Uh, both positive and negative because, you know, the, the animation group got, got really big very quickly, you know, and uh, it's, you know, uh, that, that's a whole nother story. I won't even go into, but, um, but you, you really had an interesting uh, on Lion King working with uh, a character like Scar who is a, a very calculating villainous, you know, character. Uh, and then you got these comical uh, uh, Pumbaa and Timon. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just versatility, you know, I haven't worked on four characters, have worked on um, you know, human characters. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, personality, you know, yeah. personality. Um, and so, and, you know, it, it, it was, you um, it's a, a fun experience. It was, it, was a, it was a good picture, really good picture. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that success, you know, they, they released it. And then after the, its initial run, you know, they pulled it back. And about a month or so later, they, re, they, they brought it back out. You know, and it, uh, it, it right. continued to, uh, to resonate and, and bring in audiences. Yeah. I mean, it was really phenomenal. Uh, from Lion King, you went on to Pocahontas. Uh, and you worked John on Pomeroy. John Pomeroy was uh, leading Smith on John Smith, so we worked with uh, with John Smith. <laughs> you know, the whole picture was shot in um, um, was in live action, right? And, and right, you know, all the all the reference animation, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the reference uh, live action, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, uh, yeah, and that that was again uh, another positive experience. Uh, you know, working with. Uh, but the photo stats and, and turn those photo stats into John Smith. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and John Pomeroy, we've had him as a guest on, on the skull rock podcast before. Uh, he's terrific. He's just a terrific person. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. And, think- and then, and then you went on to hunchback hunchback to, uh, and you were supervising, you, you, you were a supervising animator of J- the jolly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kurt and uh, Gary, Gary, uh, they um, they wanted me. Uh, they offered me the opportunity to be uh, the lead on Jolly. And um, initially, I think it was Ellen Woodbury. She she was she was going to be the lead on Jolly. 
Right. And she uh, ended up leaving to go to, to do Pegasus on Hercules. Right. So it sort of left uh, um, a need there. And, uh, you know, they reached out and, and offered me, and I said, you know, uh, you know, how did I ask Gary one time, you know, how did it go? Well, we just felt you were ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. Uh, so I, I'll gladly take it. And, and probably, I can't say for sure why Ellen, Ellen, you know, departed, but Jolly had like a really, really minor, minor part. Uh, the screen time, on Jolly, literally doubled from what it was initially. Okay. Before. And um, you know when they have these test screenings, uh, when they take it out, you know, in in, in workbook form and, and whatnot, and, and they show it, and they you know the questionnaires, uh, who's your who's you who'd you like, you know, what character, and Jolly kept popping up as uh, you know a popular character, and uh, I remember. I uh, was coming to work one um, one morning, and um, Tom Schumacher, yeah, Tom Schumacher, and another guy was driving in at this uh, convertible. They were driving by, and they said, "The goat's a star." <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, they, they kept on writing more parts for the goat, and uh, and putting him in situations where. Um, where Esmeralda would would be, and, yeah. and so li- literally uh, the footage doubled to where where it was when I when initially uh, got on, got on the picture. So, um, well, that speaks vo- that speaks volumes for your animation and what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, and people were responding to that. You know, yeah. even though you know it, it, there's no dialogue, there's no you know real stuff that's sort of aimed, at, but they wanted to, to put, get the goat in 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 many scenes as possible. So, they, so that, they, that's they, a, they, that, that almost harkens back to uh, Great Mouse Detective when they wanted to do more Toby scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, same yeah. kind of thing. You know, and yeah. and and that and that does happen. I, I mean, the, these test screenings give valuable information to the filmmakers, right. and if the audience is responding positively to a character, you know, there 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 is definitely a reason to add more of that character. Yeah, yeah, and I, um, you know, doing. I went to um, you know Disneyland had a, a petting zoo. I think it's called Big Thunder Mountain, and they did turn into a barbecue place now, but they used to have uh, uh, farm animals, smaller farm animals, uh, yes. chickens, and, and they had the goats. And I, I remember uh, calling up and asking if can I come down and uh, spend a day with the goats, you know, just sort of feeling the goats and, and, and drawing the goats and, and sort of getting a feel for, for the goats that I was preparing to do Jolly. And uh, they, they let me come down uh to the to the theme park and uh, and do the do just that just spend some time with with the goats and the petties and I, I, I bet you you know more about goats than uh, uh, anybody else. Uh, yeah, <laughs> at least anybody else in Disney animation <laughs> to draw goats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I and by the way, I I do think that that's a lot of fun because that's something that has happened throughout uh, the history of Disney animation yeah. is that they bring in animals or they uh, they go to a zoo or you know some horse ranch or something and spend time drawing these uh, these creatures, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we did uh, Lion King, we went down to uh, San Diego. Um, 
uh, zoo. Was it the wild, the San Diego Wild Park, Animal Park? Wild yeah. Animal Park. We went yeah. to South Wild Animal Park, and uh, we spent the night. And, went to, and then we went out to to the zoo, and and they gave us a behind the scenes tour. Yeah, and they even brought in um, um, so, some lion cubs, right? A, 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 a full blown lion, oh, full blown to, yeah. to draw. Yeah, uh, at the studio, he, I mean, he's on the chain. He had a handler, you know, but uh, <laughs> he was on on the stage, and we went in. We drew. I, I got a picture of of that uh, occasion um, that we we drew uh, this this full you know line, big mane, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that, that's again one of the things I really appreciate appreciate about the studio is that they gave us time to do research. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that was the, that's the history of Disney Animation because you know they they were bringing in uh, deer when they were working on Bambi. Right. Uh, you know, so periodically they were they were bringing in animals for the artists to uh, to study and to draw. Yeah. Um, I think that's awesome. Uh, after after Hunchback, you went on to Hercules. Uh, you did the Titans and the Cyclops. Uh, on Hercules, yeah, they, they, they were, they're, they're like the, at the very last tail end of the picture, and they, they yeah. needed to, to get it over the over the hump, you know. Yeah. And and I came in and and uh, did uh, you know wherever I could to uh, to help out. Uh, to get get it done, um, you know, and again, it was a bunch of muscle, muscle you know, they, they save muscle character scenes to the very end, you know, because nobody wants to get into it. <laughs> they don't really play a big important part, but you know, there was uh, the Titans there, you know, they get they're getting ready to to uh, go, go um, they're they're all in these chariots. You know, and then there's uh, people trying to climb over the fence. Uh, you know, a bunch of people trying to yeah. climb over the fence to get to Hercules, and yeah. um, you know, and then they um, some tight. So, so uh, it was kind of like you did a short stint uh, on yeah. uh, Hercules doing that section. Were you working on Fantasia 2000 at the same time? Or or did, was was there because uh, I know that I was working on Fantasia 2000 and I also uh, had my crew helping out uh, doing effects on uh, Hercules uh, yeah, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, it was during that time, and I think um, probably Fantasia hadn't really uh, started full blown, and uh, there was some downtime. And again, it was just, it's just coming on and just trying to help yeah. us get this thing done because you know they and literally you know i i, I really can't say i did a, did all that much but the way that things are set up you know everybody gets a screen credit yeah 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 you know, and, and uh well no, i i told i totally got it and, and, but on on fantasia 2000 you were the lead animator on the elk for the fantasia uh, for the firebird suite yeah, yeah. Um, Paul and Gaetan. Um, yeah. I, I, I was I was in the hallway. I was looking at some boards, and and uh, one of the brothers came out, and uh, he, he sort of explained it to me, and he said, "Would you be interested in uh, in doing the elk?" And, I, and he said, well, "Okay, send me over some uh, a, a reel of, of of what you've done," and I sent him over um, some some uh, some shots of. Uh, Scenes I'd done from um, from Hunchback of Jolly and, and yeah. okay, Ron, uh, you know, we'll we'll give this character to you, and uh, you know their their vision of this um, this elk, you know, very regal and very strong, and there's several different kinds of elk which we couldn't find 
anywhere in any of the zoos to do uh, like uh, research on. And um, and and because you know their their antlers fall off uh, yearly, right? And yeah. They go back um, and they grow like half inch a, a day for like you know months, and so they get these big old racks of. But and there's a elk farm um, that had elks whose antlers hadn't fall off, fallen off. So they wanted me to do these re- this research. So I yeah. remember it was in January because it was the day after the Super Bowl. And <laughs> we flew up on that, that Monday. We flew up uh, on a you know big plane and we flew into like big uh, Denver. So, and then we took a smaller plane to, um, to um, Idaho. And then we took, and then we, then Fred Herman drove me and uh, I think Paul um, to Montana, <laughs> across the straight line to Montana. And, I mean, you know, the, the, the small airport that we flew into, I mean, it was like a, a four-seater plane. It wasn't a big plane. It was, right. It was like a Cessna. <laughs> you know, you're, I think you're in trouble when the, when, the, when the guy said, you guys sit in the back, you sit here, and we put the luggage right in the middle. <laughs> so, so the belt. Yeah, trying to have weight distribution. <laughs> so we, we flew in. Fred drew, drove us to um, uh, this, this oak farm, and it was um, 14 below zero during the day and 28 below zero at night. It had been snowing. You know, and and uh, we weren't in the snow. We, we were just you know there, there had been snowing a couple of weeks before. So and and the, and the whole the whole terrain was just totally white, dirty white, wow, dirty wow. white with snow. And like I say, you know, those type of temperatures, you know, I mean, my nose hair froze. <laughs> it was like, I never, you know, I'm Southern California all my life, right? So we're in Montana, 28 below zero. Ay, ay, ay. And, um, you know, and, and they, you know, and this elf farm, because, you know, they, um, they, as the animals grow out, sort of like our fingernails, you know, they got this, uh, this velvety fur on them. Yeah, yeah. Blood supply. And before the, um, the velvet, they call it, uh, uh, wears off and, uh, you know, it got this blood supply, you know, they, they cut the animals off and hang them upside down, frozen. And uh, certain countries, uh, you know, buy them for medicinal purposes and uh-huh. aphrodisiacs, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. So, so, um, so that's what the elk farm was, was there. And they had the kind of elk that Pauline and Nathan uh-huh. wanted for the picture. Okay. And so, you know, so, so you know, they got this big van, got a picture window outside of the van. They fed the elk outside of the van so I could draw yes, the elk mm. as in their natural habitat. And you know, and then come back and uh, got a chance to you know to do this elk, these you know the, the elk and. Uh, now, if I recall correctly, there was there was a CG uh, antler. Yeah. That that w- was done. That so you rough you you did your rough animation and then they matched a uh, CG antler to the to the elk's head. Yeah. Uh, and then those were printed out and your rough drawings and the the plotted uh, antlers were then cleaned up together by an artist. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so which that, that, which made made life easier, so that you could turn those antlers in three dimension really convincingly. 
Yeah, very convincing. And you had the human element because it was done. It wasn't like a CG CG element only connected right. to the live to the uh, actual animation, right. but it was actually uh, hand drawn. So you got a little bit of. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was only being used element. as it was only being used as a guide. Yeah, you know, because because it was all hand drawn then. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. then on, and so uh, so it, it kept out. Um, like uh, like in Bambi's um, dad's uh, antlers that would have a little wiggle to them. Yeah, yeah. And to keep that to keep that over the top wiggle, but now it's got you know a little bit more stability to it. You know, yeah. but it still has and, that human and, element. Yeah, and this elk in in the Firebird Suite w- was really a majestic animal yeah. that was very slow moving, yeah. and so you really needed to have that. I think antler guide. Uh, uh, to help, yeah, 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 have that stability with the antlers, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, the only the only um scene that doesn't have the um the CG antlers is when the elk uh, walks across the water. Yeah. You, know, you see him in the opening scene; he goes into the lake, and then there's a there's a shot of him walking um across the lake. Yeah, and um, and I did the. The antlers, uh, literally by hand. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it, it doesn't have that wiggle, wiggle, and it's yeah. far, enough, far enough shot where you're not going to pick up the right. The novel that, yeah, that that it was able to maintain yeah. a sort of a solid. But, but the rest of solid. it is, uh, yeah. But the yeah. rest of it is, um, it's CG element. And then I did um, in um, the Tin Soldier. I did the rats. Um, right. Oh yeah, yeah. And, down in the uh, down in the sewer. Yeah, and um, let's see, what's that? Another uh, uh, Sandro, Sandro, uh, Sandro Cluzo. Cluzo, yeah, yeah. He and I did the did the rats. Uh-huh. I like those rats. <laughs> and, and, and doing and doing research on rats, you know, you yeah, just, the, just don't you, you just don't yeah. you, know, you just don't want to know. Right? Just, no, I, I don't really no, want to. I, 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 I don't want to know about. All rats. I can think of when when somebody says rats, I only can think of the pizza rat in the New York subway. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, listen, Ron, uh, we're we're bumping up against time for this episode, okay. so I'm going to say we're bringing you back for part three. <laughs> because because we we still have a lot to cover and I don't want to race through it. Okay. Are you okay if we come back for part three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I've been blessed enough to be a, to do a whole lot of stuff. Man. Yeah, and, and and I'm enjoying the conversation. So so I'm going to say to you, uh, thank you for being on the Skull Rock Podcast for part two. And uh, and our audience is going wild. Uh, and I will say that we'll see you next week for part three. Okay. okay? That works. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Ron. Well, thank you for the invitation. Okay. Appreciate it. Uh, John, all right, guy. All right, Dave. Take care. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. And once again, the inspiring Ron Husband. Uh, a great, great part two uh, of his interview or sit down. And once again, totally infectious. What a great guy.
He really is, you know, and I'm really glad we were able to uh, do multiple parts with him because there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And, and, and you know, as we heard um, all of the various films and we're going to finish up his filmography in part three, but also talk about his pen and ink art, yeah. uh, which is really incredible, uh, incredible stuff. In fact, we'll be putting a link in next week's show notes uh, for people to see his pen and ink work. Uh, just beautiful. Yeah, and an opportunity for you to pick up his his book as well because he does these, uh, you know, how to do these sketches, which yeah. are really great because you know it is it is a different uh, kind of mindset. Uh, and I, I I loved sketching when I was a kid. I wish I continued to do that, but I went into the music route instead of the drawing route. But um, you know, it's like I tell Dave all the time. You know, if I wasn't a guitar player trying to make it in this world, I would have loved working for Disney. Or, or Marvel as just an illustrator or inker, pen and inker person. You know, I think it would be amazing. Yeah, but if that happened, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. No, I probably would have so been working. All things I, worked out. I probably still would have been working for you, though, Dave. That would have been my goal. Be like, you know, there's this guy named Dave Bosser there, you know, special project director. I want to work for this guy. No, uh, that'd no be way. Hilarious. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> and then he'd be taking me to Monaco to meet John Cleese. That's what it would happen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, listen, everybody. Thank you so much for making it this far into the program. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Leave us those five-star reviews everywhere you get podcasts. I'd like to thank our friends over there at Sorcerer Radio and SRSounds.com for helping syndicate this program, as well as our good friends over there at my other podcast, the Dining at Disney podcast. So please check that out. Email Dave and myself, if you would. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave, final word. Well, check out uh, DavidBosser.com if you want to read up on more Disney history. Uh, you can also check out my books, which are available through any of the online retailers or your local bookstore, or you can go to TheOldMillPress.com. Uh, and with that, I will say go out, have a fantastic week, everybody. We'll look forward to seeing you next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Mm-hmm.